Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Well, as we get into the armor of God, last week Pastor Daniel spoke a, a very a foundational message on the awareness of, hey, listen, we, 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 we live in this world, we're made by God, but we live in a fallen world with a common savior and a common enemy. And we are not to underestimate our enemy, and we're not going to be talking about uh, uh, ghouls and goblins and a demon behind every bush, but we're, we're not going to give that, it, that much attention. But we would be, it would be to our detriment in our, our lives and our spiritual journey and our walk on this physical earth uh, that uh, we wouldn't give him any attention because if you don't give your enemy any attention, how do you fight or know the enemy or even know yourself or how to defend yourself? Well, the answer is you don't. So let's address the first piece of armor so that we can make our stand against the schemes of the devil. Church, what is the first and foremost foundational piece of the armor of God of six? The belt of truth. Funny how Paul talks about a belt. He uses the belt as a metaphor or as an illustration to point to something obviously greater. We're not just talking about a belt here. Speaking of belts, I love to wear uh, belts that have function and fashion, right? Function and fashion. Uh, sometimes I, I like to often wear a brown belt with brown shoes. And, and no, my wife doesn't dress me. I do that myself. <laughs> just just want to make that clear, huh? And, 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 and for some, 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 some ladies, um, they, they, they dress very nice and they, they wear a very thin belt, right? all in different shapes and colors, a thin belt on the outside of, you know, an outfit or something, that's just for pure fashion and pure looks, okay? And, and so there's a fashional piece, but there's also a functional piece, uh, particularly uh, for all of us at Christmas time or Thanksgiving, our belts can be undone one notch so we can just have a little more. Now, for men, particularly for men, the belt is not only fashion, but it has a function to hold at bay like a retaining wall. It holds things together. Uh, the belt holds at bay and acts as a strong foundation to keeping the muffin top from topping over. And so belts, belts, they're interesting. Now for the Roman soldier, as Paul was looking at a Roman soldier, Paul was writing the letter of Ephesians from not a very great place, uh, he was in prison. And so, by this time, likely under house arrest, and guess who was guarding him? A garrison of Roman soldiers and guards. And so when Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write and pen this section in Ephesians chapter six on the armor of God, he is staring and he is inspired by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to pen Ephesians chapter six while looking directly at his context of a Roman soldier. Uh, I have a picture here of, of one for you. I want you to pay careful attention to the armor and to this picture because the creative team and I spent about three hours putting on makeup on me so that I could be the model for this photo. <laughs> it's not that funny. The muscles are real. The makeup, the makeup is, 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 is different, okay? Now here's the thing. Was Paul really only inspired and in staring at a Roman soldier when he penned Ephesians chapter six? Most scholars and articles and theologians uh, would say yes. Now, that's true. 
it is very true that that was where he got his inspiration for Ephesians chapter 6 on the armor of God. However, it's not the whole picture. You see, the Apostle Paul knew his Bible very well as a former member of the Pharisees and the religious high council. So he knew his Torah, the first five books of the Bible and the Old Testament very well. So let me read some Old Testament passages for you. And what you're going to notice is there's two types of language or imagery in the Old Testament that Paul read. There's the imagery of battle, battle language. There's the imagery of armor. Listen to Psalm 24, verses 7 to 8. It reads, lift up your heads, O you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. Let the king of glory come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. Very interesting, isn't it? Isaiah 11, chapter four, uh, uh, um, verses 4 to 5. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. And he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Listen carefully. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. So when Paul was penning Ephesians chapter 6, he was not only under house arrest in prison, penning this letter, as we know as one of the prison letters or the prison epistles, he was not only inspired by a Roman soldier in the Roman era, he was also inspired by the Old Testament. And who is this talking about? All this battle language and, and weaponry and armor and fighting for the righteous and the words of his mouth? Well, who is this talking about? The Bible is pointing forward to the person of Jesus, who is God himself. And so this was extremely high imagery, prophetic imagery. So with the Roman soldier in mind, he pens Ephesians chapter 6 with the Old Testament. And in Ephesians 6.14, it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The Roman soldier in this time and era uh, uh, wore a very long, uh, wide, leather-thick belt. And as you saw in the picture, there was metal ornaments on it, like buckles. And so the belt wasn't a thin belt. It was wide because it would hold your core in place and it had a very key purpose. The key purpose was to strap on your armor and you were able to clip it to your belt so that if your armor or shield and things went crooked, if your metal armor and your clothing for battle went crooked on you during an attack, you will die. So this is life and death. The belt goes on first. All the armor buckles to the belt so it keeps it perfectly par parallel for battle ready and mobility. Wouldn't you like that? That's kind of important. But there's one more thing. In the Roman times, they wore long tunics. They called them tunics. It's, it's like an equivalent uh, modern day, like a robe, okay? So they wore robe-like clothing and even in battle. And now there would be slits in this thing, but the problem is, you know, uh, when you walk around and the, the clothing stretching past your waist, what would happen is it would, it would get in the way of your walking. And maybe walking's okay and going to the market and the town's okay, but if you were under attack, if you were under attack suddenly, you would need to grab your long tunic and you would need to, the term is gird, you would need to gird your loins or gird your waist area and tuck that long tunic 
under or over top of the belt so you would have mobility and be battle ready. Because if you don't have mobility and you're tripping over your armor and your clothes, what kind of soldier are you? A dead soldier. And that's what God is trying to prevent. And that's what we're trying to prevent when it comes to spiritual warfare. So vital. Now, let me throw another wrench at you. So now we know that Paul is looking at a Roman soldier for his inspiration, and he's also looking at the Old Testament. Okay, that's the full picture. Let me throw a wrench at you. When he says, therefore, strap on the first piece of the armor, as in the belt of truth, the belt of truth, metaphorically, is he talking about strap on as believers and be truthful people, like morality, tell the truth, be honest? Or is he talking about, is he talking about truth as a person? Is he talking metaphorically, put on the belt of truth, as in put on Jesus, the person who is known as the truth, who brings a gospel message of truth about God and about you and me? Which one does Paul mean? Well, the answer is both. But I would argue one precedes the other. Because if you believe in the truth and you know the truth, you will likely want to uh, confide you would likely want to begin to please and live and conform your ways to who the truth is and what he teaches about you and what he teaches about God. Doesn't that make sense? So here's how I framed it in our time today. Three truths about the battle and the belt. Number one, the truth of the matter is, look right here, you can't handle the truth. That's from an iconic movie scene, by the way. Yeah. Now that I got that out of the way, that chimpanzee out of my brain, let's go to the real point number one. The truth of the matter is, the battle has been won, but it rages on. What do I even mean by this? Well, listen to this battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, it says this, finally, finally, be strengthened. You know, finally also means, not finally like the end, but it means like, and might I add, and in addition to everything I'm telling you guys, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and, the, and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. In Ephesians 6.14, therefore stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist. So, here it is. We are in a spiritual battle. Clearly, it is indicating that. But the battle rages on, even though the battle's been won. This illustration will help us. In World War II, in 1944, in June 1944, the largest sea, sea invasion in human history happened by the Allied forces on the shores of, of Normandy. Many lives were taken that day. We still commemorate that day to today. And so as the Allied forces launched this massive sea invasion, ground troops, okay, against the German forces, what happened was, this was known as D-Day. But D-Day and V-Day are two different things. D-Day was the launch and the assault of this, this sea invasion. And guess what? They won. But the problem was, the battle still went on for a whole another year until V-Day in 1945, approximately May 5th to May 9th. So although the battle had been won on D-Day with that sea invasion on Normandy by the Allied forces and the world, uh, what happened was they didn't declare the actual official victory to the world, a victory in Europe, until a year later. 
What am I saying to you? What is God saying to us? He's saying this. He's saying the battle has already been won by Jesus. When Jesus died, when Jesus came down, lived and died on the cross, began to show the world that I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And when you kill me, I will die for the sins of the world and I will rise again in three days. When he rose again in three days and he paid for the sins of mankind, yours and mine, good, great, small, big, whatever they may be, he handled it all because he loved us and what he's done for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He won a crucial victory against Satan and the devil and the army of hell for the souls of people. Do you understand me? So that is, that is the victory. So I want you to know something. Although Jesus won the victory against Satan in that battle, the battle still rages on. Because V-Day hasn't happened yet. We are still here. We are still broken, fallen human beings, but forgiven and free in Christ if we receive him. And so you see, I, it's like I'm saved, but I'm being saved, but I'm not fully saved because I'm not in heaven yet. I'm not in eternity where there's no sickness, no more, no more pain, no more loss of loved ones. Does that make sense? So until then, God warns us, stand fast. Stand firm. Notice the language. Stand fast. Stand firm. Let me say something else. The truth of the matter is the battle has been won, but it rages on because you're supposed to strap on this armor in spiritual warfare against the schemes of the devil. When you have this equipment and weaponry to fight spiritual warfare against the enemy, you are not fighting to win or lose. You fight from a position of victory. So what are we doing? Well, because the battle rages on in the in-between, I have this equipment given to my chief commander and supreme leader in Christ, who is a Lord strong and mighty in battle, he has given this to us to put on to defend ourselves. It's defensive. It's defensive. We need to make our stand. Listen to what N.T. Wright says. In most major conflicts, of course, hardly any frontline soldiers know very much about the rest of the war. So true. That's the job of generals. But at least they know that something is going on and that their bit is part of the larger whole. That's the perspective that every Christian needs to maintain as we hold our bit of the line against attack. And holding out against attack is what the passage is mostly about. Most of the weapons are defensive, equipping us to stand and withstand attack and still be standing at the end of the day. Listen, no one's going to put on the armor for you. No one's gonna put on the armor for you. You must take it, you must put it on yourself. The language of Colossians in the Bible, in the New Testament, clothe yourselves with Christ. Clothe yourselves, take things, take the old ways off, put on the white robes. Clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Clothe, put on the armor of God. The first one that is foundational, known as the belt of truth. The battle's been won but it rages on. So give that belt a little bit of a tug and tighten that up. Number two, the truth of the matter is about the belt and the battle is that truth is a person, not only morality. Remember the debate? What's Paul talking about here? Honesty, like live in truth, like tell the truth? Or is he talking about the truth in Christ as a person? Well, these verses might help. 
In John 1.14, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. If that doesn't set the tone, this one will. John 14.6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know what God is like and what you're like? You want to know what God is like so he can show you what you're like and who you are in him and your identity? Then get to know his son who is the truth. Interesting, isn't it? You know, the belt is the first item in the armor. It's kind of hard to defend yourself with a belt. But know that the actual Roman belt had many things to hang on, not just the clipping of the armor and, and the tunic and all those things to be battle ready. It had the sword, the big one, the big one, the gusto, the sword. But then it had some smaller daggers also clipped along the sides to be ready in case of an attack to make a stand and defend. It's hard to defend with a belt, but this isn't just any belt. It holds everything together and it helps us to access our weapons and not trip over ourselves. How many times in life have you tripped over yourself? I don't mean literally. I mean like you tripped over a thought, you tripped over what someone did, you tripped over what your boss said or didn't do or whatever. You tripped over an argument in your marriage. You tripped over an argument in relationships at your job. You tripped over yourself. You made a mistake. You fell into sin. You got tempted with something. You made a poor decision. You were disappointed. Well, the armor of God and the identity and the belt of truth in knowing the truth tells us about ourselves. What does it say? It tells us we are forgiven. It tells us we are free. It tells us that we're children of God. And when I know that, and when I mess up and I trip up, I can stand back up. Not because I'm strong, but rather because I'm weak. And when I'm weak, because I know the truth, then I am strong. When I stand strong and hold my head high, it ain't about my performance. It ain't about my holiness. It's about his performance. It's about his holiness. It's about what he says about me. It's about what he's done for me. And so because I know the truth, I can now form a strong, confident identity in the truth because Pete Scazzaro says, when you know God, you will know yourself. Get to know God so you can get to know yourself. How many of you know, how many of you know God in that way that you know yourself better? That is the power of the gospel and the truth. So when the enemy comes and accuses you of your mistakes and what you did and how you're a phony and how you're a fake and if people knew about you, they would never love and accept you. And you know what? God's a forgiving God and, you know, he might save you, but boy, is he ever disappointed with you. You know, as a matter of fact, the thing that you're going through that you feel crappy about, you know, your world's falling apart for whatever reason and you feel horrible and crappy. That's how God feels about you. And you can say, shut your mouth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he doesn't say those things about me. I know him, and he knows me. And he speaks the truth about me and about life. You're just the accuser, and you are a liar. One of the greatest questions in life, the most overwhelming questions you could ask a young adult, by the way, I also would argue it's a, an overwhelming question for all of us, really. Because I didn't know, 
I didn't know it was so, so like difficult to answer. Here's the question, who are you? No, 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 not what you do, not what you do. Who are you? I didn't know I would spend this past entire days and years of my life up to this point answering the question of who I am. I mean, I've been trying to answer this question for 30 years. I'm not 30, by the way. I'm 40. <laughs> it's the new 30. What if you're 50? It's not the new 40. You're done. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're good. I got a lot of friends that are, that are, that are 50 year olds and they are, they are good people, they're far wiser than me and further along uh, in life. And I tell my wife, I hang out with older people than me because I'm mature. And she laughs in my face. Yes. Now did you notice about the identity thing when uh, Satan attacked Jesus and lied, tried to lie to Jesus, he tried to attack Jesus where? In his identity. I don't know if God said this about you. And why don't you do this so God will do this? Why don't you do that? No, 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 no. Right? And so the devil does the same thing over and over again. He was a murderer and a liar from the very beginning. Now here's the key. Why does he do this? Why does he attack our identity? And why is the belt of truth so important to our identity in Christ? Because if I can get you to question who you are, I can get you to do questionable things. Think about that for a second. It's very dark because our enemy is dark. If I can get you to question who you are, I can get you to do questionable things. But if you know who you are in Christ, when I tell you to do questionable things, it will bounce off your armor because you will say, why would I ever do that? That's not who I am. And that's not who the truth says that I am. Remember this, a lie only has power when you believe it. Remember, a lie only has power when you believe it. Do you know I tell my son, my nine-year-old son Zachary, that I love him every day? You know I tell my wife that I love her every day? I tell them I love them so much every day, sometimes multiple times a day. To be honest, they actually kind of get sick of it. But that's the point. Because if my son ever runs into trouble in the world, and he will, he might question his identity. Not only in Christ, but in his father. But he leaves the house knowing whatever happens to him, my daddy loves me. In word and in deed. When I walk in this world and you walk in this world and you face trouble and the enemy comes and says, you're no good. It's all your fault. You're a loser. That's how God feels about you. He's punishing you for something. Do you know and can you say it is not true? My daddy loves me and would never think that about me. What have we been talking about so far? Well, we've been talking about three truths about the battle and the belt of truth in the armor of God. 
The truth of the matter is the battle has been won, but it rages on. It continues. Jesus has defeated him on the cross, but it still continues. And so we continue to defend ourselves with the armor of God against the schemes of the enemy in spiritual warfare. And the enemy is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And we need to be able to take our stand, make our defense, first and foremost with the belt of truth, because it's metaphorical for not only the truth and what the gospel message says about us and about him, it also tells us then, number three, to live truthfully. The truth of the matter is when you know the truth, you'll live in truthfulness. Have you ever sang this worship song? There's a line in this worship song and it says something like this. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Why would we sing something like that? Well, because when you begin to worship the truth in Christ and you begin to know the truth, you'll begin to naturally live for the truth. Before you knew the truth, before you followed the truth, before you knew anything about him, you thought his commandments were a bunch of regulation, rules, and obligations, and God was seriously uptight and a killjoy, and he's got something rather stuck up you know where. But when you begin to know the truth and follow the truth and worship the truth, and the truth begins to point things out about you that might not be true, that he might need to forgive, or he might need to heal, or he might need to redeem, or he may need to shower his love and grace and acceptance over you and you, uh, give you peace and presence, you begin to want to live for the truth in truthfulness. That's why I say it comes as a natural thing and knowing the truth precedes living for the truth. You know, truth is one of those peculiar things these days. It's rather up for grabs, wouldn't you say? So I read in an article, it said, psychologists will say something like, the truth is what you feel. Now, I understand that because there's, you know, there's a form and a line of, of work there. The truth is what you feel from a psychologist, maybe. And maybe from an accountant working with numbers, the truth is what you need it to be. We call that creative accounting. And a lawyer said, well, no, no, the truth is, is what you want it to be. Well, truth is an objective standard by which reality is measured. What's your standard for truth? What do you measure truth by? A messed up ruler? A messed up set of laws that you made up? How you feel? What you like, what you don't like? Well, here's the thing, truth is an objective standard. And our God is an objective God. And he measures truth for the believer. And he tells us our identity. And he tells us about himself. And he tells us what he has done for us so that we can stand up underneath what he has done. That's all it's about. It was never about you. It was never about me. It was about his glory and what he's done and we can stand up under that because my daddy loves me. In Ephesians 4.25 it says, therefore putting away lying. Hey listen, you, you know the truth now, you worship the truth. There's some conduct, there's some behavior. Listen, Ephesians 4.25, therefore putting away lying, speak the truth each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. In 2 Corinthians, it even says this. Hey, listen, we've renounced the secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully. 
right? Believers, you shouldn't be doing that. Or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. When you live for Jesus and you live for the truth, you're displaying openly your maker, the truth. I have some, uh, I have some friends that are pilots. And uh, one of my friend's sons is studying to be a pilot. Uh, pilots use a term. It's an abbreviation, VFR. VFR stands for Visual Flight Rules. Well, that simply means this. On a nice, clear, sunny day, they can fly a plane after they go through the, the checks. They can fly the plane on a beautiful, clear, sunny day with blue skies, and they can see where buildings are, where mountains are, where the city is, where they should fly, how far they should stay away from that plane, all those things, because they have visual clarity. Therefore, they can use visual flight rules. Sounds pretty simple, pretty standard. It gets a little more difficult when what happens is your, your visuals are gone because there's a blizzard, there's a thunderstorm, there's turbulence on an airplane. And when there's clouds and turbulence and winds and storms and rains, you begin to become very disoriented. I would never want to be in that situation, which is why it's probably good I'm not flying a plane. If I didn't know left from right or where that building was all of a sudden, I thought the building was there, but I can't see it anymore because of this cloud and this rain, but it's actually right here and I just dodged it, I would freak out. We would, I, like, it would be the end of me. I would, I would meet, be in glory rather quickly. And so because, uh, because of this, they don't use visuals anymore. They use instruments. And when they use instruments, the, instrument, the instruments will tell them so that they don't have to fly blind. So that when there's turbulence and disorientation or discombobulation, they're able to know up and down, left and right, exactly where the things are and the, the ground, the altitude of the ground. And so what am I saying to you when it comes to the belt of truth and the armor of God? I am saying this to you. Life can sometimes feel disorienting because things happen. Things you do and I do. And you know what's so sad sometimes? Things have been done to us things that have been done to us that wasn't our fault, that we had no control over, and we were at the mercy of adults or other people and civilians, and they hurt us. And it's a horrible, heartbreaking thing. But when life gets turbulent, for whatever reasons there are, and you feel like your world and life is falling apart or coming to an end, or you want to end it, I hope that you will use the instrument that God gave us in the belt of truth and the armor of God so that you can make your stand against not only how you feel and the voices in your head, but also the voices from the enemy. And sometimes I don't know if the voices are from the enemy or the voices are from me. But either way, sometimes I do such a good job, and I know you do too, of insulting yourself and being so negative, the enemy doesn't have a job left to do. You stole his job. Yeah. But I know this, whether it's from the demon, or the devil, or his minions, or it's from me, I know it is not of God. And that's good enough for me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice and recognize my voice and my sheep listen to me. Let me land with this. If the native language of the evil one is lying, then the language of the people of God is truthfulness. 
Which of these languages do you want to become fluent in? Which one? I think I know. The truth of the matter is this, living in truthfulness, is that you always know the right thing to do. The hard part is doing it. So God help us. God empower us. God make us battle ready to take our stand from a position of victory that he has won for us already so that we can defend. And lastly, I can now make a stand against the lying schemes of the enemy. I can now make a firm stand and defend and live for the truth and live in the truth. Because how many of you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll likely fall for anything. I hope and pray that the someone and the something you stand for is the truth in Jesus Christ, your loving, good, and holy, gracious Father who gave his life for you and for me, for our sins, who went to the utmost priceless length to descend from heaven to get us back because he loved us that much. Be strengthened by the Lord and by the vast strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the full armor of God to make your stand. And when you face turbulence in life, and you will, ever grab that belt of truth and tighten and fasten it a little tighter. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, and your kindness to us. We thank you that you warn us of this battle that is unseen. Lord, the, the book of Ephesians speaks so much about being united with Christ in the, in the spiritual realm, in the heavenlies. And so, Jesus, as your people, as your church, as your children, as we're united with you in the heavenlies, we also realize in the heavenlies, we have spiritual attack. And so God help us, help us to defend ourselves, help us to, to make a stand from a position of victory that you gave us. Give us grace this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.